Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to start this evening over at John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. John chapter 8, 31 and 32. God is good. Say it like you mean it. God is good. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. John 8, 31 and 32. It says, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Hallelujah. So he says if, in verse 31, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. You know, a disciple is defined as a learned one. Not a saved one, a learned one. A disciple is saved, but not everyone that's saved is necessarily a disciple. Because you get saved, you're not automatically a disciple. A saved one does not automatically walk in and partake of healing. A saved one does not automatically have a sound, disciplined mind. A saved one is not automatically protected in life or walks in wholeness, right? Amen. Disciples know the truth or they walk in the truth. That's what the word know means, to walk in it. You participate in the truth. You uh, experientially uh, partake of the truth. And that partaking of the truth is what sets the disciple free. Amen. Amen. So a disciple one is one that is taught of the Lord and taught of the Lord only. And anything that's contrary to what the Lord declares is of the spirit of Antichrist. Because he's Antichrist, which means he's anti-Messiah. So he's anti-word. He's anti-Holy Spirit. And he's anti-you. He don't like you either. So why would we want to keep listening to him? Why do we get caught up in the world system? Look at Christmas time right now. You can get caught up in the world system with Christmas. You know, and we sing, we, we declare, bless God, tis the season for stress. Tis the season to be pressured. Tis the season to be in a frenzy of busyness. <laughs> You know, you can be busy without burden, right? You know, amen. So, you know, who is actually your teacher? Who are you a disciple of? You know, these are questions that we have to ask ourselves. And when we talk about who's our teacher and who we're a disciple of, we're talking about in truth. Who, uh, what are we walking in, acting on, making decisions based on? You know, just because you're saved, it doesn't make you a disciple. You have to continue in the word and become a disciple. Isn't that right? Amen. This is where we wrestle against contrary knowledge. There's so many things that's contrary to the truth of the word of God. And we have to wrestle with these things. The world says things like being busy, being in a frenzy. Being under stress, going to go broke, 
continue to increase debt if you want to have anything. And all of this mounts up to pressure, pressure, pressure. Amen. And the things of God and even church and sitting and hearing the word and fellowshipping is designed to be a refuge. But for many that gets caught up in the busyness of the season, it becomes the point of stress because it just adds to their schedule and pressures increase and faith mounts up with wings and flies away. But yet boldly, how many times will we declare I'm a disciple? I'm a disciple because we think it's only because we're saved. You're not a, you're not a disciple because you're saved. You're only a disciple if you follow and then live it. The purpose of learning, because a disciple means a learned one, and the purpose of learning is to what? Live in what you have been learning. How many of you went to school? Did you go to school just to get credit? How many of you went to a trade school? Did you go to a trade school just so that you would be able to talk to people about different trades? No, you went to learn something so you could do something. You know, when I was an auto mechanic, I remember I was when I was an auto mechanic and I started working. Some woman brought the car in and she wanted something done on it. And I started working on it and she's standing right there, standing right there watching. You know, I mean, I'm fine with that. I ignore them anyway. So I'm working on the car and she comes over to me. She goes, you missed step number two. I'm like, oh, we got one of these. You've missed step number two. See, I learned to be a mechanic so that I could live as a mechanic and work as a mechanic. I had experience as a mechanic, not just have some book knowledge. She was nothing but an uninformed critic, thinking that she's going to make sure the job got done right, and she didn't know her left ear from her right elbow. You understand what I mean, okay? And she thought she was smart because she read a book. And we used to have in the shop, we would have code 21. So if you yelled out code 21, that meant service manager, come get this person out of here before we hit them. And they would come and get him and say, I think you need to go wait in the office. You're not allowed out in the shop anyway. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? See, because we don't want to be like that with the things of God. We don't want to be just book smart and think we know something. If it's not working in your life, what do you know? Nothing. Nothing. It's got to be working in your life. Amen. <laughs> Hebrews 5.8. Hebrews 5.8. Talking about Jesus here. It says, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Now, Vincent's word study says that it required the special discipline of a human experience as a training for his office as a high priest who could be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. If, if he did not participate in everything that a human being participated in in life, then he might as well just be a statue that you pray to. 
But the Bible tells us that we don't have a high priest that can't be touched with the feelings of our infirmities because he's experienced it. He knows what it's like to live in a human body. He knows what it's like to experience the pressures of life. Alfred says the special course of submission by which he became perfected as our high priest was gone through in time and was a matter of acquirement and practice. He had to acquire this. He had to practice obedience and acquire a life of obedience. But he did it through the things that he suffered. Now, some people think, well, you know, this is Jesus. He didn't have to learn to be obedient. Of course he did. But you see, that's as weird to people as Luke chapter Two is where it says he had to grow in wisdom. He gave up all of his deity. He didn't come here as God. He was the word made flesh, but he gave up all of his rights and privileges of deity and came to live as a bond servant in a human body and go through the whole human ex experience. And he had to grow in wisdom. And he also had to grow in obedience. Growth in experience was an essential part of his humanity. Why? Because how could he be an example to us if it wasn't? Amen. And this is why it says that he comes to your he can come to your aid. Because he's experienced it all and he knows how to overcome it. Amen. Now, you can't hear this stuff. And we've said this before. You can't hear this stuff from where you're at. You need to be hearing this from where you need to go. Where are you headed? Do you know where you're headed? You need, you know, you need to hear this about based on where you are headed to. See, this is the biggest problem and issue in a Christian's life. They're not going anyplace. They're just living every day, wanting to get by, wanting to get through. But where are you going? What is your plan? What is your vision and your goal? Where are you in God? Where is he leading you to? Not hearing from where you are, but where you need to go. Not even where you want to go, but where you need to go. You know, for many people, the only thing that they have for a goal is to go on vacation or to go see their family or to go shopping or to go, go out to eat. That's their goals. And this is why God don't really mean much in their life. Because they don't have a goal. They're not going anyplace. You know, Pastor Ned and Pastor Ellen has set, done, spent a lot of time setting up everything out here on the property for Christmas like they do every year. But it's not because she wants to show that she's some kind of a decorator or that she's something special. All she wants to do is honor the newborn king. That's all she wants to do. But I've heard so many people through the years talk about, oh, you just want to have all this stuff. You know, ignorance has a great way of criticizing. And have no idea. You know, when I owned my automotive shop, when I owned my own business, it was called Sunshine Car Care. S-O-N, Shine Car Care. Because I thought... We, we, you know, use the business and advertise the sun. Well, I had a man come in the shop and he goes, you got a lot of nerve trying to use Jesus to advertise and get you get people into your business. Another ignorant criticism. Never even asked me why it was sunshine car care. Never asked me anything about that. Just assumed. 
Well, you're just trying to use this to make money. Another ignorant critic. And there's so many of them out there. Ignorance. But bless God, we have all learned by suffering through their criticisms. <laughs> it says that Jesus learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And he's not talking about the cross. You don't have to go to the cross. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. He went. He did it once. He did it for everybody. Nobody needs to go through that. And we all know that. We all agree. Yes, it's not the cross. Hallelujah. But how alert are we to step into the suffering rather than be dictated to by the world, rather than be dictated to by the flesh, rather than letting hell dictate to us the way things need to be? Jesus gave us an example to follow. That's what discipleship is all about. Discipleship isn't I come to church twice a week. Discipleship is following the one you're learning from. Amen. Using what you've been taught, standing in times of suffering. And I'm not talking about suffering, sickness and disease and lack and all that. Jesus learned suffering and obedience. He learned obedience experientially and practically. He was willing to test the power of obedience in sufferings. So that he could become personally and practically acquainted with the, with the nature of such obedience in the midst of protracted woes. He has shown us that the most perfect obedience may be manifested in the deepest of sorrows of the body and the soul. Therefore, affliction properly dealt with will always lead us to obey God if you deal with it properly. Now, do you know how many Christians want to believe God to where they never have a problem? Yeah. See, and that life of prosperity, which is phony, false, and just an illusion in one's mind, because you live in a devil's world. But people want to try to believe God to where they never have a problem. And it's that life of prosperity that will cause you to forget to obey. Because if you don't have any problems, you're not having suffering. Therefore, you don't need to obey. And what do we do? We become self-confident. We become rebellious and we forget about obedience. So what has happened? All of a sudden, our life gets full of thorns. And it's choking out the word. And we say it all the time. Then I know what the word says. Well, how come it isn't working? Because it's stuck between your ears. Right? I don't mean you. I mean me too. It gets stuck between my ears too. This is why I can say this, because I know it. The thorns grow and chokes out what you learned. You forgot about being a disciple because you just wanted to get things. And then you think, well, you know, things are good now. I have raised my standard of living. But yet you have fallen from obedience and become like Laodicea. Don't shout me down. You know it's true. 
Just think about when you go away maybe on a vacation and you just go for five days of just laying out in the sun and just enjoying. How much do you think about God? Usually, really, you know, come on. Not really. We're too busy with the good life. The prosperous life. Things are going good. We don't have any problems. Even if I just get away for four days and don't have to deal with nothing. You don't even deal with God. Amen. First, let's go back to the Bible. First Peter, first Peter chapter four, verse one. See, this is discipleship. Discipleship is not a, a, a lollygag type of life. It's not even a ha-ha-hee-hee type of subject to cover. It's serious. First Peter 4.1, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same purpose. What's the purpose? What's the purpose? To suffer in the flesh. That's the purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So we can't be talking about the cross because you can't arm yourself with that same purpose of going to the cross. So he's not talking about going to the cross. But Jesus suffered all of his life. I'd say, well, at least from the time he came up out of the Jordan. He suffered until between then and when he went to the cross. And what did he suffer? He went to his own hometown. They wanted to kill him because he read something out of the Bible. And then he declared before, you know, he even told the people before Abraham was, I am. You know, they want to kill him. In his own hometown, they wanted to throw him off the cliff. So what did he suffer there? Rejection. Rejection. Family, friends, those that he grew up with all of his life rejected him, wanted to kill him. Do you think that's just a tiptoe through the tulips? We were in Miami uh, at an ICFM meeting just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, in the evening before I got up to speak, they had a, uh, a rabbi come up and share some things about Israel. Well, I've known him for a, a long time, probably since we first went to Miami. And um, probably back in, uh, I don't know, early 2000s. So I've known him all that time. But what I never knew was, and Dr. Dan shared this with me this time, is that he, when he accepted Jesus into his life, his whole family rejected him and actually put him out. Well, that's not easy. But you have to make a choice. Am I going to just suffer that rejection? Or am I going to, I can't take the rejection. I'm just going to come back again and, you know, let's just make everything okay and forget about what I told you about this Jesus stuff. But he chose to suffer the rejection. Jesus suffered criticisms. You know he was surrounded by critics. 
He suffered entrapment. People always wanting to trap him with questions and, and scenarios. And, you know, Mary Magdalene, you know, she was caught in adultery. What do you say about this? I would say, where's the man? What did she do? Commit adultery by herself? Where's the knockball she was with? Oh, they didn't drag him out because it was a male chauvinist society. They drugged the woman out, but not the man. And Jesus knew that, and Jesus always stood up against that stuff. Jesus suffered judgment by the religious people. They always judged him. They even called him the, the prince of the ruler of the demons. You cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. That's what they said about him. Casting judgment over him. He suffered all of those things. Hebrews 4. We're coming back here. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. So he says, as he suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same purpose. Stop trying to run away from things that you suffer in life. Learn to obey God and get out of it. Come out the other side of that. He says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right. He has been tempted in all things just like we. Now that word tempted in the Greek is the word pirazzo, and it's defined as temptations, tests, and trials. He's gone through the temptations, the tests, and the trials just like we do. He dealt with everything we do. Now I'm not talking about the wrappings that all the junk comes in. You know, there's all the pretty wrappings. The devil wraps it up and makes it look good until you open the box and then it just bites you in the butt. And what's in the box? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. So he went through all of that, dealt with that all of his life. What about when his, when, 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 when his hometown rejected him? You think that could have hurt his pride? Well, I'll show them. What about when he's on the cross? I could call legions of angels to deliver me. Well, if he did that, it would have been out of pride. So he dealt with the test, the temptations and the trials that we went through. But it says without sin, which means he defeated every test, every temptation and every trial that came against him. Glory to God. Amen. Now, why did he defeat it? Well, not because he was the word in flesh, but because he chose to obey God, follow the Holy Spirit in the midst of suffering his flesh. In the midst of having feelings of how he felt about being criticized. In the midst of feeling embarrassed over things that would happen. In the midst of feeling rejected by people. He chose to obey God and not follow or obey or listen to the dictates of his feelings. Amen. So back over to 1 Peter 4.1 again. 
since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now let's look at it in the uh, Amplified Bible, and let's see what it says there. So since Christ suffered in the flesh for us, for you, arm yourselves with the same thought and purpose, patiently to suffer rather than fail to please God. For whoever has suffered in the flesh, having the mind of Christ, is done with intentional sin, has stopped pleasing himself and the world, and pleases God. Hallelujah. He says patiently to suffer rather than fail to please God. So that means anytime I give in to my feelings rather than obey God, I'm not pleasing to God. Anytime I give in to my desire rather than obey God, I'm not pleasing God. That means that anytime I'm doing something that's not of faith, I'm not pleasing God. Amen. So when he's talking about suffering our flesh, he's talking about in the midst of the test, the temptations and the trials that we don't give in to the flesh. We don't give in to sin and we don't give in to the world system. You know, we talked about this some weeks ago from Romans chapter six. And Paul said, I will not let sin master me. Well, sin, sickness, disease, anything of the world, anything of the flesh, I will not let it master me. And that's the decision we have to make, that we're not going to let these things master us. No longer pleasing ourselves. No longer following the dictates of our flesh. No longer listening to how I feel. Or what I feel like doing. Then what I feel like doing. No more listening to that stuff. It's childish. And we're, when we become a man, we put off childish things. Are you with me? Don't shout me down. I have the microphone. We can make it louder. Romans 14, 23. See, this is serious stuff. This is what happens when you continue in the word. Now, if you don't want to continue in the word and you don't want to be a disciple, well... One of the greatest blessings you will lose out on, and we'll probably get to that next week. Romans 14, 23. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. So a very simple example of this is Seafood, shell food, people call them bottom feeders. You can't eat that stuff. It's bad for you. It's no good for you. Then don't eat it. Because yeah. if you eat it, you're not going to be eating it by faith. And if you eat it, you will be eating it in sin. So don't eat it. Save it for me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You understand what I'm saying? All right. So we have to understand that the life we live as the righteous, we are the righteous because we were made righteous when we got born again. We have to understand that this is a life of faith. Well, what is a life of faith? It's a life where you're free from sinning. 
where you don't follow after your flesh. You don't even give a minute to your flesh. You don't give a, a moment to that flesh. You don't follow after the world system. You don't follow the world's way of choosing and making decisions in life. You don't make decisions outside of faith. What does the word of God say? Are you with me? See, what did we talk about? I, I don't know, was it Sunday? That the, the mature have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Well, this is the good and evil they're talking about. They're not talking about whether you want to kill somebody or not. That's not the good and evil they're talking about. This is the good and evil. In the midst of tests, temptations, and trials, do I choose to suffer my flesh and please God, which is good, or do I yield to the flesh and do what the flesh wants, which is evil? Will I do it by faith and be free from sin? Or will I do it based on what my flesh is saying? Not obey God, not please God, and therefore do it by sin. Amen. Discipleship. This is being a disciple. Philippians chapter 3. Verses 3 and 4. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. And of course, he goes down all of his credentials about why he could put confidence in the flesh. But he's chosen not to. Now, an interesting word here is confidence. And in the Greek, it's the, it's the Greek word pitho. And it means to, to have confidence means to believe in with reliance and trust. To depend on it. It also means to become convinced of and respond to it favorably. To be persuaded of it or persuaded by it. To be a follower of it. To believe in it, trust in it and obey it. But he said, put no confidence in the flesh. In other words, don't put any reliance and trust in that flesh. Do not depend on that flesh. Don't become convinced of it and respond favorably to it. Don't be persuaded of it. Don't be a follower of it. And don't believe in it, trust in it, and obey it. There's only one thing you should do with that flesh, and that is put it under your feet. How do you ever think you're going to put the devil under your feet when you can't even control your flesh? You're lying to yourself. As much as you can put your flesh under your feet, that's how much of the devil you can put under your feet. You know, Elijah said it great. Choose ye this day who ye will serve. Are you going to serve God or serve your flesh? And if you say God, then you got to do it. Because if you don't do it, you'll be judged by the words that you speak. There'll be idle words and you'll be judged for them. But blessed is the doer of the word. Who are we a disciple of? We're a disciple of the word. God himself. Do we understand 
what is being said. Do you understand what the Holy Spirit is saying to you today and the importance of getting it together? Can we hear it? Can we, as we're, as we're sitting and listening to the word, can we hear on the inside what we need to do? Can we hear the changes that we need to make? Can we see the steps that we need to take? Can we hear it in our heart? What's needed to bring about change in my life? Can I hear where I need to go? Can I hear how I need to go? Can I hear what I need to do to move forward to where I need to go? Do I know where I'm going? These are the things that have to come alive in you when you're listening. This is not just about, well, I need, just need to get some more money. And I just, listen, there's, there's all, everybody's at different levels. But everybody has to grow from where we're at. This is why about, it's not about hearing from where you are. It's where you need to go. It's always about where you need to go. You know, when, when Israel had Pharaoh coming up behind them, mountains on each side, and the Red Sea in front of them, they're all going crazy. Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? They're going nuts. And, and Moses said, stand still, which means get your mind under control. Settle down. Why were they running like that? Because they didn't know where to go. When you don't know where to go, the devil will run you in circles. Your flesh will run you in a frenzy because you don't know where you're going. Amen. Why is it that when the parable of the sower was preached, people didn't get it? Why was it that when the disciples had the parable explained to them, they couldn't relate it into their life to go over to the other side? When Jesus just said the word or spoke a seed, go to the other side. The sower sows the word. I just told you, boys, this. The sower sows the word. Here's the word. Go to the other side. Why didn't you get that? Why don't this relate to your life? Why is it just a theology in a book and not relating to your life? Why is it that when Jesus fed the 5,000, why couldn't they relate it to their life that there's authority over natural things? Why didn't they get that? Why is it that when we hear faith, we don't relate it to our life? Why is it it don't get related into our health, our finances, our peace, to deal with fear? to get free from fear, to be delivered out of oppression? Why doesn't it relate into my marriage, into my family, into my raising of my children? Why don't it relate? Why are we still taking other people's sicknesses? There was just new reports came out that in Washington, D.C., there's an uptake of hospital people getting admitted into the hospital. What's your response to that? Who's the idiot that don't know this? That's my response. It's cold up there. Who don't know this? It's November. You're going into December. Of course more people are going in the hospital. They're getting the, the, the flu or whatever they're getting. Come on. How is it 
that society is failing economically and we get into the woes. That we may stop sowing and start hoarding. Are we going to trust flesh or are we going to trust God? Are we going to walk by the word and deeds based on what God says? Or are we going to be fearful of the days we live in? Why is it that we can relate faith to our finances but not to our health or vice versa? Why is it that we can relate faith maybe to our marriage but not to the raising of our children? Why is it that we can't come to hear the word of God being taught because our child might not get eight hours of sleep? Why is it that I can hear the word of faith for years and be fearful of so much? Do we meditate into the changes we must take? Or do we just hope for the best? Or do we depend on our flesh to make things better? When the word of God needs to be in our heart to bring about results. Do we say we believe God, but yet we trust that flesh? A lot of questions in there. A lot that needs to be answered. Purposes of such importance in life. Where are you going? People don't understand their purpose. And this is why, and I, I, you know, I could say this because I was in helps ministry for a number of years before I ever started pastoring. But how is it that somebody could be ready to work at the helps ministry and all of a sudden they get a phone call and it's like, oh, I can't be there this weekend. I have to go do something. Somebody just invited me to go do something. What was your purpose? You just gave up your purpose. You didn't just give up your purpose. You gave up your reward. Now, let's turn it around the other way. Suppose you were coming to church. I mean, suppose you were going on vacation and then all of a sudden something came up. Hey, there's a guest speaker that's coming in and it's a last minute deal and they're coming with the word of the Lord for us. Well, I'm sorry, I'm going on vacation. You wouldn't give that up, but you give up church. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Your purpose is messed up. And of course... I can understand that if you think that just church is just a man's program, man's organization. It's what a man wants to do. Then I can understand why. But when you understand the reality of it. Proverbs chapter four. Verses 20 to 22. My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight, keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all of their body. So he says here, attend to the word. Well, that's the same thing he said to the Jews in John chapter 8, if you continue in my word. So this is a continuous attending to the word. So he says, attend, incline, don't let it depart, and keep it, right? Incline your ear, don't let it depart from your sight, keep it in your heart. So there are ears that are supposed to hear, eyes that are supposed to see, 
and a heart that is not supposed to be dull, but supposed to be wide open. And that is the avenue to life and health. And we all want life and health. We're just not all willing to do what it takes to get it. We'll trust maybe more in the antibiotics than we will in what God says. If you do this, it's life to those that find it and health to all, all, all of their body, inside, outside, every part, every organ, every cell, your flesh, your brain, everything. It's health to all of their body. Now, either it is or it isn't. Either God's right or he's a liar. But what does flesh do? Flesh rises up and says, oh, I can take care of this right away. Just go do this. this, this." And we respond favorably to our flesh. And all of this is, is building up your soul. Your ears, your eyes, your heart. Developing your soul, which is no different than what was spoken in the third epistle of John, chapter one, verse two, that in all respects, you would prosper and be in good health, even as just has and according to your soul prospering. If your soul don't prosper, your life will not prosper and neither will your health. Now, you can't have it both ways. Now, you can go the way you can go the way of the I was just listening to a commercial today and um, they were talking about some kind of medication, over-the-counter medi- oh, prescription medication, and of course they run through all the side effects. And they, put, they have all these dances around and everything to kind of distract you so you don't hear all the side effects. The music's playing, the people's dancing, everybody's having a good time. But then there's all the side effects. Verse 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs, which is also the issues and the forces of life. All right, so go back to uh, 21. Don't let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Verse 23, watch over your heart with all diligence. In other words, watch what you're putting in your heart because out of your heart is going to come the forces of life, good, bad, right, wrong, positive, negative. What you put in is going to come out and it will be a force in your life. But he's trying to get you to get the right things in so the right things will come out. Watch over your heart, guard it, keep it, protect it with all diligence. All, this is not a once in a while glance, all diligence. And it's not a natural function, nor is it a function of the flesh. And this is why it's hard to do it, because your flesh don't want to do it. Your flesh is a little snot that thinks it knows more than anybody. Isn't it? We all know that. We all have one. Without diligence, the wrong things are going to spring forth in our choices. Without diligence, the wrong forces will come out based on our decisions. Without diligence, we're going to have the wrong things spring out of our mouth. Without diligence, only flesh can spring forth. Only flesh will spring forth. 
The word is designed to relate into our life. And we have to live by faith. James chapter one. Verse 13. James 1, 13, let no one say when he is tempted that I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. Let no one say, let no one say, no one, nobody, don't let anybody say it. Never, ever, ever let this come out of your mouth. That when I am tempted, and that word tempted is the same word that we saw earlier. It means to be tempted, tested, and tried. Just like Jesus was tempted, tested, and tried in all things. He chose to stand and suffer the flesh. And he can help us. Amen. He does not bring the test, the temptations, and the trials. Let no one say when he is tested, tempted, or tried that I'm being tempted, tested, or tried by God. For God cannot be tempted, tested, or tried by evil, and he himself does not tempt, test, or try anyone. Could it get any plainer than that? And the word evil also defines anything that can injure you, including sickness and disease. Sickness is evil. It's evil. Disease is evil evil. God does not bring this to you to teach you something. He doesn't test you. He doesn't try you. He doesn't tempt you with anything evil. He's not bringing the test, the temptation and trial. Well, if not God, then who? Well, verse 14 tells you that. But each one is tempted, tested, or tried when he is carried away and enticed by his own, 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 own lust. No outside force coming against you. It's all in you. In your flesh is where this is. By our own lust. It means any strong desire for anything. Like, well, I know I was supposed to serve, but I'm going away. Well, I know I was supposed to serve, but somebody called me up for coffee. See, you have a strong desire to go against. Well, I know I'm supposed to be in church, and the word says don't assemble, you know, don't forsake assembling. But, you know, I got this phone call, and I got to go. A strong desire for anything. No different than when I was having worship practice, and my son calls me to go to a Yankee game. What am I going to do? I had somebody come to me on the team and said, I want to go do this and I won't be at practice. Would it be okay? And I said, well, it would be okay, but you know the rules at that time. You had to sit out for a month, I think it was, if you missed, I think, more than one practice. Within a month, you had to sit out for a month. And they said, well, it's just this. You think it would be okay? I said, no. Because if it's okay for you, it has to be okay for everybody. Are you with me? A strong desire for anything is defined as a lust. The flesh has been developed by the world system. The value system is based on flesh standards. 
even in ministry, even in ministry, I've had people and I've talked to them and they were going to come and do a meeting and it was all set up. And at the last minute, they called me up and they said, would you mind if I canceled? I got another thing. I got a call. You mind if I go over there? I'm like, go ahead. You want to go? Go ahead. Now, to me, that's just not keeping your word. Now, you know, there are, there are times that Dennis and I have worked together and he was going to come in on a specific weekend, but something came up and he was trying to, you know, his schedule, schedules get in and he said, can we move it to another week? He still wanted to come, but can we move it to this other week? He says, and if it don't work out, that's fine. I'll do something with this other thing. And we worked it out and that was fine. But to say I won't be there because of whatever, I got another phone call. Sorry. And you don't know who that was because he's never been back or he's never been here. That was the first time I invited him and that was the last time. Are you with me? Each one is tempted, tested or tried when he himself is carried away and enticed by his own strong desire for anything other than suffering the flesh and standing in the test, temptation and trial. Verse 15. Then when that lust, that strong desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So when is that strong desire conceived? In your soul. It's in your soul is where it's conceived. It comes up in your flesh. Now you've got a choice to make. And in your soul, you make the decision, I'm going with the flesh. I'm going with that strong desire. And then what's the next step after you make the decision? You do it. So the conception takes place in the soul, but then you do it. And that's the accomplishment of it. And that's when sin is accomplished, when you do it. And that's when it brings forth death. So on one hand, you've got death, not physically dying, but that death realm, which just brings you down that road. And then on the other hand, you got reward. So which one do you want? There is the all that we want, but then there is the all that we do. Can you relate this to your life? in dealing with your flesh. Speaking the word out of our heart to make the proper choices. Why? Because verse 16. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Do not err. Don't fool yourself about this. Stop blaming somebody else for what they said, what they did, how they acted. It's all in you. Well, they made me angry. Nobody can make you angry. Well, they forced me to. Nobody can force you to. Well, you know, if they didn't do what they did, it doesn't matter. It's not what they did. It's how you responded to it. It's all about you. Don't err. Look at the Passion Translation of verse 16. It said, so, my friends, don't be fooled by your own desires. 
Don't be fooled by your own desires because everybody knows if I have a desire, it must be good. Otherwise, I wouldn't have it. Isn't that right? That's how we all think. Don't be fooled by your own desires. Amen. Let's close with 21 and 22. Verse 21 and 22. The last part of verse 21. In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save, to restore, to renew your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. The engrafted word that you receive is able, has the inherent ability to save, to renew your mind, mend your emotions, strengthen your will, and restore your soul. Without that, you can't do the word. You can't do the word without that. If your soul don't get in order in anything, in any area, you can't do the word. Your soul has to get in order. Because your spirit can't act on this, in this life without your soul being involved, and then your body gets involved. You're a three-part being. So this is about the soul. We have to get our soul in order, our soul restored, renewed in any area in order to be able to do the word. And by doing the word, then I can prove myself as a doer of the word in the midst of suffering my flesh. And I can stand against my flesh and not yield to it. And again, yielding to the flesh is not about sin. It's not about sickness. I mean, it's not about um, uh, disease. It's not about adultery. You know, although it does include those things. Okay. But what's it about? Making the right choices. It's all about making the right choices. You either make a God choice or you make a flesh choice. You either make a faith choice or you make a sin choice. And again, sin, we're not talking about the Ten Commandments. We're talking about what's right, what's wrong, what God wants you to do. Right? Don't be deceived. Don't be deluded. What you sow is what we reap. What is not of faith is sin. And what we sow is what we reap. So it's time to move into being a disciple of the Lord. Being a learned one. Remember, a disciple is not a saved one. A disciple is saved, but just because you're saved, it don't make you a disciple. you got to choose to be a learned one. As having been taught by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, who gives us life. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And this is especially as we choose to suffer our flesh. Amen. Let's pray in the Holy Ghost. Jevet <laughs> 
Ele se shebete nebeso onoto romaka yavado rovazi avado lubre bezi Ubrezia badanjan yarabaka yabadoroba, sovrabaki, evrebeki, obaka yamaton yaramaka yabadere baziabadan yarabaka yabadorobaka yamade, sevrebezebe dorobakan yaramaka yabadoroba zejebete nebesi abado. O Ramazun Yarama Baba Zan Yarama Kayama Doroba Zure Meziabadan Yarama Kayabado Olavaka O Bezi Ibete Nyele Bezi Ibete Sevre Beki Don't get tired Lobra Zujan Yarama Kayabado Roba Kanyarama Zan Yanama Siabado Roba Kiabade Uramakanyan Yarabakajan Yarabakayabadan Yarabakayamazi Ebedenebe Uramakayabadajan Yarabakayabadan Yarabakayabadorobakayabadorobakayabade Levezi Ebedenebezi Abadorobakayarabakan Yarabakanya Namakayabadorobasu Ubedene Lelevazi Ebedorobazajan Yaramaka Ubaka Yamadan Yaravazi Abadene O Ramazanjan Yaravakan Yarabazan Yaramaka Yabadene Vasi Abadorobakurebedevazi Abadoroba Jovreveki Ebrevezi Ebedorobazanjan Yaravaka Yabadorobaka Yabadoroba Lelevazia Badania Yarabakaya Badania Rabakaya Madania Rabakaya Masia Bade Horabasushebe de Vesia Bade Horabasia Bade. For just as you need to press in and push forward and not get tired and pray in the Holy Ghost and push on in past your flesh and push on in into that place of my presence. So you must also press and push yourself to continue in my word and not back off and not get tired, but to press in, press in, Press in, for that is the place that you need to be. For that is the place where my presence is. That is the place where my grace is released. That is the place where you need to be. So press in, press in, press in, and do not get tired. Do not back off and do not back away. But press on in and you will see that your stand that you will make as you suffer your flesh and you will see the great reward that you will walk in. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. 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 Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, Father, as I've shared your word tonight, we've done it by your anointing. We followed the leading of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that I gave the expression that you would have me to give in that which was said. That it was not just said in what you wanted to say, but it was said in how you wanted to say it. And I thank you, Lord, that your anointing removes burdens and destroys yokes. And Father, I pray that as every heart is open this evening in this house or in live stream on podcast, Father, that that word will settle in, take root, and it will grow and produce in each one's life. 
Father, that it'll become a reality, Father, that it's something that we will walk in, that it's something that we'll partake of, that your word from this day forward, when we hear your word, that we'll hear you, Holy Spirit, and know how to relate these things into our life, that it will be an immediate reality in that which we hear. Father, I just thank you for it. <clears throat> I praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Hallelujah. 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 <clears throat> Father, I thank you for the opportunity to sow our seed this evening. Whether we come with our tithe, our first fruit offering, or whether it be a seed being sown. Father, I thank you that there's promises attached in your word to all forms of giving. And that as we give, we attach the right form of promise to that which we give. And Father, I thank you that it will come back to us on every wave. That there is seed that will produce a harvest. There's a tithe that will cause the windows to be open. And there's a first fruit, Father, that will cause our bonds to be filled with plenty. We thank you for it and bless you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.